Purposely Podcasts. We deliberately speak to social entrepreneurs, charity founders, and all-round awesome people to hear their founder story. Hello, welcome to episode 28, an enlightening conversation with the CEO of the Alton John AIDS Foundation. I'm a huge admirer of Alton John and what he's achieved through his foundation. I'm also now an admirer of Anne Aslan. Anne talks about how the organisation started and about her own inspiration for joining the fight, a very personal mission to do the right thing for her late brother and his friends. You'll get so much from this interview. Anne's really engaging. I like to remark. Enjoy. Welcome, Anne. Thank you. Hi, Mark. Good to talk to you. Good to talk to you as well. Um, I thought we could just dive in straight into what is the mission and vision of EJF? The vision of the Elton John AIDS Foundation is the end of the AIDS pandemic. Um, and we do that by supporting organizations that work on the front line to give people information, to provide testing for HIV, to link them to treatment if they need it, to give them preventative medicine if they're not infected and to reduce the stigma and discrimination around the disease so as people don't feel scared about coming forward and getting the help, support and information that they need. Mm. And you do a lot of fund a lot of projects, is that right? You are a connector, a funder. Uh, we are, we don't, we don't provide services on the ground ourselves we we because we feel that's duplicating efforts so we support really great organizations um you know who are working right next to and within the communities that we want to reach and we funded over three thousand projects in the lifetime of the foundation um and uh that represents well we've raised 450 million since we started phenomenal yeah quite incredible um and it'll be really good just to touch on um, the founding story. So that's, it's obviously um, founded by um, Alton John um, and it was established in 1992, is that right? That's right. Yeah. And motivated by Alton's um, relationship with a, um, a family, in particular a boy called Ryan White and, and being in and around him when he died, is, is just in terms of that story. Yeah, that's right. So um, Ryan was diagnosed with HIV, he was a haemophiliac, and he got infected uh, from a contaminated blood transfusion. And um, he was infected when he was a young teenager. And uh, at the time, obviously, there was no treatment of any kind. And he suffered really awful, awful stigma from, from his school, from the community. Um, you know, people throwing rocks through the window, painting uh, slogans on the doors. Um, his family had to move at least once, I think, because of because of the way they were treated. And Elton read about this, and it was a, at a time I think when he was really doing a lot of soul searching about his life and what what his life was about and what he was contributing, and and particularly around addiction and so on, which had been a big part of his life, maybe. People have seen, you know, Rocket Man, which which goes through the movie, which goes through some of this. And he read about this family and just thought, God, what am I doing with my life? These people are so incredibly brave. And as it turned out, were so 
wonderfully forgiving. They refuse to to sort of fight back or or name call or they they uh, they were just the epitome of acceptance and kindness and compassion, and that was really the the inspiration for for founding the AIDS Foundation in the first mm. place. He thought if if kids like Ryan can be going through this and I have a platform, I should be using it to do something. And I think he felt quite guilty that he hadn't done more of it um, in the 80s when, you know, it was ravaging New York particularly. And um, so it was, it was his, he felt it was his turn to really step up. Yeah, yeah. And I think we'll touch on um, this now, but mention in more detail later. Certainly, um, you know, like t- celebrities are tempted by um, charity or charitable endeavors but um i don't think very few go on and have the impact or the effect that uh, ejf have had which is incredible and uh, still do to this day um in terms of your own motivation so you you had previously been um working the commercial sector and, and news information is that right before you yeah, joined that's, EGF? that's right i was working with i had a i had an english degree and i'd worked as a journalist and I was running an agency which provided information to the news media, which kind of is, uh, you know, we live in such a different world now with Google and everything. But in those days, finding out, you know, what was going to happen in the future and who to contact and and how it was all going to work was was a lifeline to a lot of journalists. But anyway, I I um, I had a middle brother who uh, was gay and um, he uh, was diagnosed with HIV. Um, in the late 80s and a number I mean in those days you know there was no treatment at all and a diagnosis was pretty much you know the prognosis was 18 months to two years and um, we watched a lot of his friends get sick and die and uh, and also to to die often alone because they were gay and because their family didn't want anything to do with them and this was just so heartbreaking for me. And I was obviously terrified that this was going to happen to my brother. And, um, but I think particularly because my experience as a young person, when people got sick was that everybody was very, you know, was very caring and compassionate and wanted to help and so on. And this was the first time that I'd had an experience where people were, you know, living with these awful, awful infections and, and, really terrible, terrible opportunistic infections through HIV. And they weren't seeing any love and compassion at all. Um, and so that was that was a really big motivator for me. Yeah. And how, how old were you when your brother was diagnosed? Um, I was, uh, I think I was about 26, mm, 27. Mm. Yeah. And... Um, and-, and- he was six years older than me, so he was in his early thirties. And did it, did did AIDS get him? Or actually, it it, it it's a sad story. It it didn't um, because it didn't get a chance to. He actually was he was misdiagnosed because he was HIV positive. He was diagnosed with an illness called toxoplasmosis, which is something that affects your brain. Um, and in fact that wasn't what he had he had a he had a brain tumor and because they misdiagnosed it they they missed the opportunity to do something about the brain tumor 
until the point where when they actually realized that they'd got it wrong, um, it, it, it wasn't possible to operate because it was a very fast growing tumor. Um, and so uh, that's, that's what killed him. Um, but he lived a lot, lot longer than, than the doctors had anticipated. So we always used to, in, you know, it's sort of gallows humor when someone's living with something like this. We always used to joke that his brain tumor, who we gave a character and a name and everything, had, had decided that he wanted to be around for quite a lot longer than the doctors had decided. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, that was, that was, um, that was what happened. But that's also a function of, you know, not, not really wanting to engage with the idea that, that uh, just making assumptions about HIV um, and, and not checking properly um, yeah. what was really going on. Absolutely. And so when this opportunity came up um, for you much for later on, so you joined in 2009, is that right? The EGF? Uh, no, I actually, I volunteered before that for a while. Um, I, I was the executive director from 2009, but I'd, I'd worked there. I'd worked at the foundation for, for quite a while before that. And I, I started by volunteering my time because I'd, I'd uh, worked at a couple of other uh, HIV related organizations. I'd volunteered, but I didn't really feel like I was, I was making a difference. And, you know, we don't, we all have different skills and, and I, I wasn't able to be helpful um, in the way that THT really needed people. They needed buddies. Um, and well, that was Terence Singles Trust, who I worked yeah. for. Yeah. Yeah. He yeah. was the Terrence first man to die of, or no man in the UK to die of AIDS. Um, but so, you, yeah, so you tried to, were involved with them, but didn't stick with those guys. Is that right? Yeah, I just yeah. I just didn't feel like I was making the kind of difference that that um, I wanted to or that was helpful to them at the time. I mean, they're a wonderful organization and we work very closely with them on lots of things. Um, and someone said to me that that um, the foundation was looking for someone to help set up a relational database to manage all of their donors and and the sort of nascent grants program and this was something I did know about because we we ran a huge database for for the um, organization the uh, media organization that I was working for and so that's how I started I went in every day uh for oh sorry once a week for about two and a half months and set them up a relational database um, right. and that's how it all started yeah and there was a sort of one particular fashion project which we, you and I have talked about before um, with Alton John AIDS Foundation. Just tell us about, about that. And... Yeah, so while I was there, they were um, thinking about uh, having a shop, like, you know, a lot of charity high street shops with donated clothes. And in this instance, the idea was for Alton to clear out his closet and for that to be the stock in the shop. And um, they were having this conversation, uh, Elton and his manager were having this conversation in the office that I was working in. Um, and I said, oh, but if you do that, won't you, won't you find ultimately that even, even with all Elton's amazing clothes that the stock gets tired and you've got to pay staff and, and uh, you know, it's quite, a big, it's quite a big risk. What you could do is while Elton's doing shows in London, 
find an empty premises, there's tons of them in, in, in London, you know, that are between tenants and tart it up and, and open something for sort of two or three weeks while he's performing, which of course we now know is a pop-up shop, but they didn't really exist then. Um, and, um, and so uh, Elton's manager, who was an extremely persuasive man called John Reed said, good, so you'll do that. And I said, no, no, you don't understand. I'm a volunteer here. <laughs> And uh, he said, that's because you don't really think it's going to work. Anyway, it was a very clever tactic to sort of prompt me to go, I, I really do think it would work. And yes, OK, I'll take I'll take some annual leave from my job and I'll I'll help you make it work. And yeah. um, and that's what we did. It was one of those moments that I walk away from going. Um, I really got myself in deep here, but this is yes. quite exciting. I I came home that night and I thought, damn, I really, I really should have just said, you know, no, well, I'm not sure it will work, but you know, it's, it's only a suggestion, <laughs> but um, yeah. I really, I felt like it would. And um, there's a wonderful woman um, called Louise Fennell, who's actually still a patron of the Elton John AIDS Foundation. And she, her husband, who's a jeweler had, was just moving out of premises in South Kensington in London. And so said, look, you can have the premises. And Louise and I sat on the floor of this empty shop for about three weeks and priced up all these amazingly wonderful, wonderful clothes. Still not at all sure that this was, you know, gonna work. Cause as I say, there were no pop-up shops then. And um, the day we opened, I got to the shop really early at about half past eight in the morning. And there was a queue running all the way along the street and around the block. And so, you know, you thought, okay, I think this will work. And, um, and it actually ended up raising in the two and a half, three weeks we were open, it raised more than they'd raised in the whole year before. So um, they asked me, would I, would I stay? Brilliant, excellent. And I think it's quite a challenging, um, potentially a challenging thing to be the CEO or the leader or whatever you want to call it of a, a charity or an organization that has got um, someone's name at the top of it and certainly someone who's um, you know as famous as Elton um, you know in terms of um, you know because ultimately you're responsible for the day-to-day -day of, of EGF what what has that been like for you um, has that been difficult I imagine there's some really up, good upsides to it as well um, but you know it's ultimately his name on the door um yeah what's it like for you yeah so i mean you know look there are huge there are huge upsides uh in it um it's it's um because he's such an incredibly well-known uh celebrity it's it's easier to to connect with people people will take your call they'll read your letter they'll you know they'll you they it gets you in the door as it were um, in an incredibly helpful way, but by the same token, because he's very high profile, we have to be incredibly careful that everything we do, um, not only is as good as it can possibly be and entirely above board and appropriate and, and, and effective, but we also um, need to be careful that, uh, you know, he's not exploited in any way or, um, uh, yeah, that we protect him and 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 his his image as well, because um, he's so enormously um, committed to all of this. But obviously, he's a huge. He would be a. It's a huge 
commercial advantage to have Elton John involved in a project as well. So there's lots of things to consider with every kind of collaboration and project that we get involved with. Um, but on balance, I'd say it's a it's a huge advantage. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, it, 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 it's worked well because you know it's lasted for you a lot, you know, a long time. Long um, time, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And you've got the per personal motivation of your brother, so the cause is really close. Um, just going back to what I said earlier about um, this is this is no vanity project, right? This is um, Elton John is you know, close to the cause and, um, you know, just describe the sort of, because um, HIV and AIDS as a, as an issue has, has changed a lot over the last, you know, 20 to 30 years, um, but, but actually his resolve is stronger and the organisation, I feel like they have got more to do in some ways or more of a part, part to play. Yeah, I mean, it's harder in a lot of ways because, uh, you know, in, in the, in Europe and North America, there's a very um, there's a very strong sense that AIDS has been sorted. Right, we have treatment for it, and people the treatment is incredibly effective, and people who are on treatment can live, you know, long, very fulfilling, healthy lives. So that's a bit of a challenge, um, and and also there are a lot of other extremely um, scary competing issues in the world. Climate change is obviously a massive one. We're in the middle of a, a pandemic from another disease. Um, so it, it's, it's a challenge in terms of both of those. Um, what I think has been interesting though, is seeing the overlap between the vulnerable people that the foundation seeks to help. And it is by and large, vulnerable people who are most at risk of HIV because of their sexuality, because of poverty, because of the color of their skin, um, uh, and in some instances because they're young and they have no control over, you know, when their sexual life starts or how they protect themselves and so on. But you see huge overlaps between this and, and COVID at the moment and other diseases. So I think as I've been doing this job, there's been a, a a kind of coalescence around this understanding that we have to, unless we look after everyone, unless unless it's a, a solution for everyone, everyone remains at risk. And before this pandemic, I'm not sure that that would have meant anything to a lot of people. But now I think we all understand the concept that until we make sure that everybody is safe from coronavirus, um, we're all at risk. And, and the same is true for, you know, for other infectious diseases like HIV, and they can't be swept under the carpet. And we can't be ashamed or stigmatize people who are at risk, um, because this is something that affects us all. And is there, you know, because, you know, in some countries, um, because of politics, because of um, homophobia, because of racism, all these um, you know the work that you're doing is, is particularly valuable are there any stories that stick out for you of where you've been involved as an organization and you're sort of personally most proud like can you think of any scenarios where it's hit an individual or a family or, or a location um oh yes lots I mean I think I think from uh from a a sort of program point of view, one of the things I'm most proud about is a long time ago, there was a, a fairly 
raggle-taggle group of people in Ukraine who came together and called themselves the All-Ukrainian Network of People Living with HIV. And it really, they had, they had no support, they had no recourse to any kind of uh, care or information or anything. And, and they had no track record either, uh, but they were such a incredibly committed and, and a smart group of people who wanted to make a difference. And we supported them with not a huge amount of money, but we supported them over a period of three or four years to properly form into a network. And um, sort of scrolling forward three or four years, they became, they, they got the largest amount of money from something called the Global Fund for AIDS, TB and Ma Malaria. I think it was 151 million at the time to help roll out treatment and care for HIV for the whole country of Ukraine. Wow. Um, and, in, and in fact, they were the lead, not the Department of Health, because the Department of Health had failed to, to um, provide an adequate uh, government response at that point. And the idea that this group of people, you know, the, the empowerment and the agency that this group of people who were the ones who were living with the problem were had that kind of ability to determine what the response should be um, and how to save people's lives was huge. And then I think another, another thing that really sticks in my mind, um, which we did as a team, we worked in Cambodia uh, with an organization called Habitat for Humanity because there was in Bangkok, there's a huge kind of dump site called Ston Manche, enormous, right in the middle of the city, which was full of, you know, rubbish and used needles and condom, used condoms and all kinds of very dangerous, very kind of icky stuff. And um, there were people living on, on this dump site and people living with HIV and, and children scavenging and we worked with Habitat to build houses for families that were affected with HIV. And one of our donors very kindly said that he would be prepared to sponsor the team um, to go over and help build a house. So the whole staff of the Elton John AIDS Foundation went and built a, a house for a lady who had lost two children to AIDS and had two more who were living with HIV and was living in the most appalling conditions. Um, on this dump site and we built her a brand new house it wasn't it wasn't a mansion but it was safe and clean and had running water and and seeing her and her sons and how overwhelmed they were was um yeah it was a massively emotional experience for everyone on the team so they're yeah, two but, kind yeah, of spring time. getting really close to the to the cause and and the people that you're helping um, yeah and and knowing that you know we built that house but our funding built another 250 houses was was a it was a really wonderful moment actually mm, mm, yeah really transformative and now talks about what the elton john aids foundation are doing in relation to covid19 and so we launched a very early on in in at the end of march we launched um a COVID-19 emergency fund, which was designed to help the organizations we work with around the world, the NGOs working in Asia and Africa and Eastern Europe, and to figure out not only how to sort of put a band-aid on the risk immediately, so PPE equipment and, and other ways to keep them 
uh, to keep health workers and their patients safe, but also to figure out what might you do differently that will protect you from this in the long run or from another big threat that comes along like COVID. So we've done a lot of, we've done a lot of work around um, things like moving services online so people don't have to meet face to face, structuring food deliveries and medicine deliveries. And uh, again, so as people don't have to go into the health system if they're HIV positive and they won't be putting anyone else at risk by doing that as well. Uh, and that's been a lot of, we've spent uh, a couple of million over the last five or six months. Um, and we're reaching 150,000 people um, and, and really learning from that. And going back to the sort of entrepreneurial spirit, we, uh, we've got together with a range of other grant makers to say, what can we learn collectively about the organizations that we're supporting that can future-proof them to some extent from something like this? Because otherwise it's just devastating um, because all of the services stop. So that's been, that's been very much the coronavirus uh, experience and then yeah. in terms of our, our role to 2030 i think the thing we've been good at and again it goes it goes back to this entrepreneurial kind of place for us is we're really good at taking the most vulnerable groups and figuring out with them rather than for them i would say what's going to make the big difference? How are we going to help you get access to, to information and testing and treatment? What is it that's holding you back? What don't you trust? Why doesn't the service work? And really demonstrating that we can make that work in a kind of pilot way and then convening lots of, of bigger organizations than us around that type of solution and taking that solution to scale and talking and, and bringing that, telling truth to power, as it were. So working out what might make the difference, work, convening with a group of other partners to make the difference at a big scale, and then talking to governments about, look, this is what we've learned. This is what we can prove. We're not just telling you that we think this will work. We've got the data to back it up and, um, and helping them do that. And the work in, in the UK, actually, that we, we've been doing is a good example because the, the HIV testing that we did in South London and the money it saved the NHS and the success of how it's worked has now brought us to a point where we're advocating for the kind of opt-out testing that we're doing in South London across England. Out and John AIDS Foundation have been really good at doing is sort of connecting a, a cause that's often got real stigma attached to it and then you know in, in some countries absolute persecution like the stakes are really high for individuals um, if they test if they test positive um, but but because of who Alton is and because of the supporters you have you you've kind of gain acceptance for the cause and you've got real celebrity sprinkle to the organization you you've met some on a personal level you've met some pretty amazing people and you've got some awesome patrons haven't you what what's it like being in amongst them and sort of brushing shoulders with the um the, uh, thinking the beckhams for, for example yeah um fantastic i mean people who uh you know I think people get, celebrities get a lot of stick for the things that they do, but actually um, 
you know, they give a lot of time that perhaps we don't in our own personal lives as individuals. I traveled with Victoria Beckham to South Africa um, and we looked at uh, particularly HIV amongst young people because young women are particularly vulnerable um, and they're not a marginalized group as such in the way that I was talking about other groups earlier, but they're very, young women, particularly in sub-Saharan Africa, are very constrained about what they can and can't do, who they choose to have sex with, how they protect themselves, contraception and so on. And she was, she was fabulous actually. Uh, she was nervous, I think, at the beginning because it was a new role for her. But she started to talk about having, believing in yourself, having self-esteem, not, not having sex with guys because you felt you had to um, and all that kind of stuff, which was, which was, for them, was huge, you know, seeing this kind of famous person. Um, I think the work at the foundations brought me uh, in, in contact with some extraordinary, I mean, you know, Nelson Mandela and Desmond Tutu and, and, and Tony Fauci in the States and, and some extraordinary political leaders and public health experts too. But um, yeah, uh, the, the celebrity thing certainly has been, uh, I'm, I'm hugely admiring of what people genuinely, genuinely want to do to make a difference. And I think we've been lucky, and this goes back to Elton probably, People sense that this is this is real for him. This is something he really, really cares about. And if you're going to help, he he, you know, there's there's no vanity, there's no ego, there's no anything. And so the the celebrities that we have worked with, Gar Lady Gaga is another one, just a hundred percent there with their heart and their time. And um, so that's been you know fantastic. Yeah. Very lucky. Elton is, um, you know, he's a real polymath. He's interested in everything. Um, he sets very, very high standards for himself when he works. Uh, I mean, as a performer and as a musician, he gives always gives 100%. And the same is true of the foundation. If he's on a project visit, making a speech, meeting people, raising money, he's always giving, giving 100% to it, which is wonderful. And it certainly keeps you <laughs> on your toes because there's a, you know, there's an expectation that sets the bar for all of us. So, so um, yeah, there's a, there's an expectation of really giving it all you've got, but that's also enormously inspiring. Um, and Elton, what Elton's amazing at is connecting. I mean, unsurprisingly is connecting with the human emotion, the compassion, um, and the love actually uh, that that connect that that gets rid of the stigma and discrimination of HIV and really connects you to someone else as a human being, not as a disease or a statistic or anything else. And then David, his husband, who is now our chairman, um, brings a, a fabulous wealth of of professional experience from marketing and advertising. So he's been. Uh, incredibly valuable to all of our fundraising efforts. Um, but also as a gay man and as a gay couple, you know, they really do understand this notion of being excluded um, or feeling uh, a feeling uh, like you stigma or shame, you know, because they both live through parts of their life where homosexuality has been deeply, deeply stigmatized. Um, 
So, uh, so yeah, they, they both add kind of different things, but in a really wonderful way. And I, I mean, yeah, in terms of meeting amazing people, yes, lots of amazing, amazing people. I think most recently, um, the thing that was wonderful for me was um, in 2019, Elton got the uh, French Legion of Honor. And this was given to him by President Macron. And there was a private ceremony um, where I thought it was going to be a bit more like the, you know, the system, the honor system in the UK, where you you were in a big room with a lot of other people and the sovereign or whoever comes and has a quick word to you and gives you your your medal or your certificate or whatever. And it was it was quite different from that. It was a it was a long, it was an hour-long um ceremony where President Macron really talked about what Elton had contributed to um, culture and to our understanding of love and loss and and so many things through his music. So that was extraordinary to see that happen. And then subsequently, at the end of that ceremony, Elton and the and President Macron went out into the courtyard at the Elysee Palace and launched this campaign to raise money for the Global Fund for AIDS, TB and Malaria, which is one of the biggest health funds in the world. So, which was obviously my issue. So it was a kind of double whammy. It was the, mm. it was the honor of seeing Elton recognized for all the amazing work he's done as, as, a, as, a, as a performer and a musician, um, and also as a, as a philanthropist, and then watch them and their kind of megawatt sort of star power um, launched this campaign, which actually turned out to be, uh, it was the most successful fundraising campaign for the Global Fund ever. So uh, yeah, that was, that was a big, big highlight. I remember being in America. It was the first time there'd been an international AIDS conference in America for uh, a good 10, 15 years because America had, had, was excluding people who tested positive for HIV. Um, in the intervening time. And Elton was sitting with a group of people like the head of UNAIDS and the head of the Clinton Fund, uh, Bill Clinton's HIV initiative and various other um, very senior people in the AIDS response. We were sitting in a hotel room and Elton was talking about love and talking about how it was gonna take love to end the AIDS epidemic. And these are people who are, you know, public health experts and epidemiologists and doctors by training. And I'm sitting there slightly thinking, I'm not sure how- <laughs> This is not gonna land. <laughs> this, is, this is quite rock and roll and I'm not quite sure how, how this is gonna land. And what was really interesting was there was a guy who worked for UNAIDS who'd done some uh, epidemiological modeling about, okay, what's the epidemic gonna look like in five, 10 years time if we do more testing, if we do more treatment, less treatment, you know, all sorts of different scenarios about what the future might look like. And I remember he said, you know, what you say is so extraordinary because for the longest time in AIDS, we've been thinking either you spend the money and the time giving people treatment to save to save their lives, or you decide that that's too expensive and, and too complicated to do, and you just worry about the people who are HIV negative and protecting them. And actually what we've discovered, and this was the huge breakthrough in HIV, is that when you give people the treatment that saves their life, it also 
squashes the virus in their bloodstream, suppresses it to the extent that they're no longer infectious. Mm. So you have to have the love and compassion to look after the people who are already sick. And it turns out that's not only the good thing to do, it's the smart thing to do because it's how you stop yeah. the epidemic. And what I loved about mm. that was it's the combination of, you have to have both things. You have to have the, the science and the medicine, but you also have to have the love and compassion. Thank you for joining me and um, really well done on your um, tenure uh, as CEO and uh, keep up the good work and, and do, yeah, stay in touch. Thank you, Mark. Thank you so much. It's been lovely to talk to you and yeah, be good to stay in touch. Let's fingers crossed that 2021 will be a better year. A better year, exactly. <laughs> A massive thank you for listening to Purpose It Podcast. I'm thoroughly enjoying bringing these stories to you. Visit our website, purposefullypodcast.com. Join our tribe, leave your email address. If you're on Apple Podcasts, please hit subscribe. Please leave a review, really appreciate it. 